Adrusha Apana is crushing it in Hollywood right now, making a major name for herself as a producer. But success wasn't handed to her. It's not because she grew up in LA. When I went to India, it was like I wasn't Indian enough. Hmm. And my American friends, like, he's like, you're not American enough. It's not because she had every opportunity handed to her. Because I wanted to be a development producer and I got told by a lot of people, like, you can't just become a development producer. As someone who's worked with Randy Jackson, Tom Hardy, Barry Levinson, and more, Adrusha told me the number one common trait of the most successful people in Hollywood, and it's probably not what you think. It's not talent. Hmm. You know, it's not connections. It's not who their grandfathers are. It's simply. We recorded this episode in the middle of the writer strikes. In spite of all of the uncertainty, Adrusha had this sort of calm confidence that everything was going to be okay. Worst comes to worst, I will go back to Ohio and I will become a millionaire by the end of the year. Then I'm going to go make my own motherfucking movie. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends podcast today. I am making friends with Adrusha Apana. Adrusha, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. How are you doing? I am doing all right. You know, I'm doing better now that I'm drinking this energy drink that we were talking about for like 10 mm, minutes before. I want one. You didn't bring me one. I know. Had I known, had I known, I would have stalked the entire place with some ghosts. Listen, addicted to caffeine. It's my one vice. Yeah, right. Yeah. I try to stay away from the vices. Yeah. But caffeine has my heart and she won't let go. You know, it's difficult. It's difficult. <laughs> Every once in a while, I try to do just like a little fast to like reset the tolerance. Yeah, you know? me too, me too. Cause, yeah, because sometimes it gets ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's like, I think I had like 400 milligrams of caffeine today and that's probably not good. I think the <laughs> redeeming know? thing is that when I do the fast, I am able to get back to like a cup of coffee. Right, exactly. So I know it's doable. I don't yes. have a full addiction. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you, you got to cut it off every once in a while just to make sure that you still have control over it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But I think, you At know, least the illusion of control. Everyone hits that three o'clock slump where yeah. they're like, damn, I still got a whole work day. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. that is what the energy drink was created for, guys. Yeah. When you're up at 530 and then you yeah. realize it's three o'clock and you're, yeah, you, you eat lunch, you know, yeah. if you can get in lunch at yeah. like two. And then all of a sudden you're like, I need to sleep <laughs> or I need yep. a ghost or some yep. coffee or something. Yeah. What's your go-to oh, energy drink? Oh, man. I'm I'm like afraid it's to say. It's confession time. It's confession time. Okay. So if I have my way, Honey Badger, because it's the only clean um, energy drink, meaning it is sweetened with stevia and monk fruit, I believe. Mm. There's only like two or three in the market. So if I have my way, Honey Badger. Also, if anyone missed like the Honey Badger viral moment, it, it changed my life. So, <laughs> so, I, I, so it was good I, branding I love, on their part. I was a Honey Badger back. for Halloween yeah. one year. Like I love the Honey Badger. Um, <laughs> at, but if it's in a crunch moment, nothing hits you like a Celsius. Celsius. Yeah. I have an entire fridge you know, packed full of Celsius. I don't know house. what they put in there. I need to get them to sponsor the show. There's I've... something extra yeah. in those Celsiuses, yeah. right? Like I've had all the power drinks. Mm -hmm. There's something extra in Celsius. Yeah. And they figured out the taste too. Because that mm. was the thing. I, I used to drink bangs. And then- Wow, uh, <clears throat> bangs. Yeah, back in the day when uh, when those were- really big yeah uh, i think they just got got acquired actually i think monster just bought they're them. still big in like uh the edm communities i think or like the dance that dance makes sense well because they're 300 milligrams of caffeine mm -hmm. which is still even more than any more. Uh, any of the other ones i think these are 200 more than any celsius or 200 yeah, right <laughs> at one point for sure yeah exactly um but even those ones like i, I drank those they just like it still had kind of like that syrupy 
like yeah. strong syrupy taste, you know? And like, I feel like Celsius is not that way. Yeah. And I think it's something to do with the B vitamins and the the extra stuff they put in for your metabolism. I can't remember exactly taurine yeah. or whatever. They There's something Some extra thermogenic that like effect. kicks there. Yeah. Yeah. Note to audience, Travis and I are clean human beings. <laughs> we just really yeah. like our energy drinks. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got a vice. Everybody's got a vice. And I think that's one of the better vices to choose. Mm. You know, like that or heroin, I'm going to probably pick caffeine most of the time. Yeah, you know? I get that. Probably most of the time. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> well, listen, Adrisha, I know that uh, you're super busy and I'm grateful you took the time to come on the show. I had um, to make friends with Travis. Yes. That, I mean, that's the reason we're here. I'm right? here to make friends. Yes. Yes. It's working. <laughs> it's working. The trap is working. Um, so I want to allow the audience to make friends with you. So for people who don't know who you are, mm -hmm. let's try to give them a little bit of context here. So let's go back in time. 10-year-old uh, Adrusha, 11-year-old Adrusha, set the scene. Where were you? What was going on? What was life like for a 10-year-old you? Oh, uh, man. 10-year-old me was growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had lived in Seattle and, and was born in Arbor, Michigan. Wow, you guys moved around a lot. Uh-huh. I'm a first-generation uh, immigrant, or a first-generation child of immigrants. Okay. I'm South Asian, um, and I'm the first child. So I, at 10 years old, had been gifted the gift of incredible imagination um, because we've spent a lot of time out of the country in different parts of the world, and I got to see kind of how the rest of the world lived. And within that, I'd fallen in love with storytelling and art, hmm. um, theater, music, and really I'd fallen in love with it because for me, when I traveled abroad and I was with kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds, our own only commonality was the books we read, the music we listened to, and the TV shows. And so it became like a love language. Yeah. It was like my way to relate with the world. Cause I think when you're really little and you get exposed to like different cultures and especially different socioeconomic backgrounds, you really struggle to try to find like a common a common thing that helps you with your own identity. Sure. Um, so 10-year-old me was talking to my walls and all my movie posters and making up <laughs> stories uh, we had really restricted TV growing up. Uh, we had to like highlight what we wanted to watch, and then we had to like do chores to highlight what yeah. you want, like mm -hmm. in the TV, TV guide, guide or something. Guide, yeah, yeah. And you would highlight what you wanted to watch, and then you had to do mm. your chores yeah. or your homework. I mean, ten we didn't have homework with chores right. to be able to do it. For all you TikTokers out there, the TV guide <laughs> was an actual little book that got shipped to your house, mm -hmm. and it showed you what programs were mm -hmm. being played on what channels on your television okay? yeah just to clarify yeah, yeah so we used to have to like pre-pick what we wanted to watch and, and then watch it, it at that time at that time and on at that, that time channel. only yes yeah and the, watch the actual commercials the only loophole is if you woke up saturday or sunday before your parents and you got that cartoon hour yeah. in. <laughs> saturday morning cartoons yeah. baby yeah one and saturday morning i would WB. get up at like 6 7 a.m oh, on a saturday <laughs> kids wb yeah I, I, those, those uh, are the shows adventures of jackie chan and um oh man what was what was the Pinky and the Brain? Did you yeah. ever watch that one? Yeah. yeah. We were also Roadrunners yeah. families. We had oh, a yeah, lot Road of Roadrunners, Runner. old Roadrunners. Um, but yeah, so the 10-year-old me knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell stories for a living and really it just took a lot of time to get back to that. Because... But did you know what that meant? Like mm -hmm. tell stories for a living, like that could be so many things. Mm -hmm. um, and it still can be so yeah. many things. I think that's the beauty of it. I think that I just knew that I really expressed myself through being able to understand other people through characters and through yeah. stories and through music. And um, I had a huge imagination because we did have such restricted access to uh, TV and entertainment. We traveled so much. I spent a lot of time as the oldest child by myself, hmm. just like making up worlds off of the, the books my parents had read to me and the TV shows I had seen yeah. and like, what could those worlds be? Um, and so I think like my 10 year old self, like just knew I wanted to be a storyteller of some sorts, either yeah. I was creating them or I was making them up or I was acting in them or I was performing them or I was making my little sister perform in them. Right. So, um, it's kind of funny when you look at life because I think that a lot of people, if they would 
stripped down to what their childhood was Hmm. would realize that their passion was sitting right in front of them. Hmm. And then you add on the layers, I think, of societal expectations, what your parents expect, what the schools expect. I have great parents, but what your friends expect, what the world tells you is possible. And most of us, if not all of us, get lost somewhere on that train um, because now we're listening to others. We're yeah. not listening to our true self. Yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, I would be surprised if many people don't have this story where they they just, if they really think about it, they knew so clearly what their passion was. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is that when you're that age, you express every part of yourself because that's what kids do. Right? Mm-hmm. I have a four-year-old and I have a, my daughter's almost three. So four-year-old wow. and a two-year-old, she's almost three. And they have no problem expressing exactly what they want in exactly the way that they want it mm-hmm. at any given time. doesn't matter if we're in public, if we're in a place where you shouldn't be yelling. It doesn't matter. None of it yeah. matters. They're only there to express exactly how they feel and what they want and what they desire. And then parents, in this case me, society, culture, everything starts changing and shifting them into becoming this, you know, this combination Mm -hmm. of what everybody thinks you should be. Mm -hmm. And I think the tragedy is that most people never take the time as a young adult in their 20s to reconnect with who they are. Yeah. And they only continue to push forward the agenda that was forced onto them rather than going and trying to spend time with themselves a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, like it, if you can't be by yourself for any length of time, there's a, there's a problem with that. It's because you don't have a relationship with you and, and it's probably bleeding over into all of your other relationships as well. Like if you, if you look at, if you look at all the most important relationships in your life and you have issues with almost all of them at any given time, the problem is probably staring back at you in the mirror. Yeah, you know, 100%. because you cannot have great relationships if you don't have a great relationship with yourself first. Absolutely. And if you don't know who you are, how do you know who to connect with that has common interests? Or how do you find somebody with shared values if you don't even know what yours are? You're just kind of floating and letting life put people in your life. And you don't even know if those people are there for you or if they should be there or if you should replace them with other people. 100%. Like You don't know any of that stuff because you don't even know who you are, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I got really lucky um, in a weird cosmic way that life just kept smacking me across Mm. the face every time I'd kind of divert and try to move into something else um, in various different ways would just keep smacking me and being like, pay attention. I'm pulling you back here. Pay attention. I'm pulling you back here. Um, So even at that time, it wasn't a conscious part of my growth journey. It was something that I, I kind of like it was like a I couldn't get rid mm. of this piece of me that had become a storyteller. So I actually went to I went to um, film school and got a film certificate right after high school at the end okay. of high school, right after high school in New Zealand. I thought I wanted to be. Um, oh, you say New Zealand? Yeah, I thought I wanted to be a tree hugger <laughs> cinematographer, like okay. a or director. I want, thought I wanted to like make National Geographic videos, yeah, and they yeah. have a great. Um, you know, New Zealand's known for their ecology and their unique ecology. And so I'd gone down there to study dual like ecology and then get a photojournalism and a film certificate. That's wild. So you went from middle of the US, you were still in Cincinnati when you graduated. So you went from Cincinnati right after high school, didn't go to college. You went directly to New Zealand to do this. What did your parents think of that? I mean, it wasn't as wild for me because again, I have parents from India. Okay. So they had been taking me to India every second Mm. year since I was a kid for either the full summer or the full winter. And they they both went um, to to engineering college at India that was International Engineering College, a very famous, well-known one. And their uh, classmates were kind of all around the world. So even when they were just new parents and, you know, uh, struggling to create their lives in the United States, they made sure that every time we we took an international trip, we stopped in a different country. Hmm. So by the time I graduated high school, I'd like I'd been to Korea, I'd been to Japan, I'd been, and you know we're, that sounds like luxurious, but they did it on a shoestring budget. Yeah. For them, it was just so important that their kids kind of saw the world that Wildly they came important. from. Yeah, um, and it absolutely changed who the way that. Uh, I viewed life the way I grew, the way I shaped my life because I just had this exposure. I think when you were exposed again to like the way the rest of the world mm-hmm. lives, eats, breathes, thinks, you you're um, easily more easily 
understanding of the idea that maybe there isn't like one shoe that we all have to fit into. Sure. Um, But I ended up in business school right after that because they paid me more money. (laughs) And uh, they had had a full scholarship to a elite business program. And I ended up in business. And, you know, when you're 18, I kind of like – like was like, okay, so I'll do like storytelling for brands come in business school and I'll figure out the like the storytelling part later. You're just kind of putting pieces together. <clears throat> yeah. And um, of course, with college educations, money's involved. So you're, you're really trying to put pieces together. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was really accelerating at, in that program and I had gotten like the, the top internship. I went to work for Saatchi and, in New York as an intern. And I was just like so so busy winning yeah. that I almost lost like what my purpose was. And mm. I wo- woke up four years into the five-year program and was like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Like none of this is anything that had to do with any of my dreams. And so I took 22 credit hours in one quarter and I left a year early. Like wow. I'm just like, I'm out. I, I got to go figure this out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's incredibly weird but my story whether it was injuries whether i had a car accident whether it was like physical i broke my knee i was supposed to be um a musical theater major i'd broken my knee when i was in high school uh, or whether it was just like setbacks within my careers i tried to take that were other than this i just kept getting smacked and like god god universe life whatever you want to believe in was like no yeah Pay attention to this. <laughs> like you're supposed to do something right here. So, so were your parents engineers then? Is that what they ended up doing? They both went to college, engineering college, and then they went and got their ma- my dad got his master's from Michigan, and he became a professor and then a management consultant. And oh, no my way. mother, um, you know, was a mom, and then went back and got her doctorate afterwards. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so they both were in international business, international relations, and they had a, they still have a, a massive consulting company. Well, wow, that's awesome. Have you noticed a difference between people that you've met who were like, you know, seventh generation here versus immigrant families in terms of like work ethic? Yeah. I actually think that that like the brands and the marketers completely missed an opportunity to help all of us and we as 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 a society missed an opportunity to really claim first gen as its own identity. Hmm. I think it comes with its first gen kids from all cultures, Indian, Hispanic, Brazil, wherever they come from around the world, um, as well as first gen, meaning first gen Brits, first gen Americans. I think that we all share a common um, subset of, of values, as well as motivations that are unique just to first gen kids. And I think that there was a horrible identity crisis um, with our generation because we were never allowed to really own that. As an identity. And because I think mo- like you were not technically in either camp, mm-hmm. kind of. It's like, I'm not technically an immigrant, yeah. but I'm also not technically yeah. like, you know, I don't feel like an American. Yeah, cross-culture because, confusion. Yeah, right, cross-culture right. confusion. I think it's like- There's some identity issues there you're, for sure. You're, for my, for, in my case, so, so I don't speak for others, like my Indian friends would be, and when I went to India, it was like I wasn't Indian enough. Mm. And my American friends, like, it's like you're not American enough. Right. Um, and that is, I've talked to a subsect of individuals who are all first gens from different cultures. That's a commonality. And I think that A, the marketers and brands would have, could have had a whole, yeah, you know, audience yeah. to target had they realized that consumer mindset. Yeah. And I think that secondarily, you know, really, we would have been able to um, own that identity as our own. And that would have stopped a lot of cultural confusion that you hear coming up in conversations now um, as we unpack diversity initiatives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely something, definitely something that is like a unique a unique position to be in when first, you're, first, especially as a kid, you know, you're just trying to sure. make sense of life in, as, sure. as a whole yeah. and you're just getting all these confusing, you know, value structures and hierarchies, even, you know, religious beliefs mm-hmm. that are widely varying between somewhere like India and somewhere like the U.S. And, Absolutely. You know, first gen kids have like a little chip on their shoulder. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean by that. That was kind of what why I asked the question yeah. to begin with because I've I've noticed that. Yeah. You know, as somebody who's just a white guy with a bunch of different white 
descendants we're highly uh, motivated know, like, to succeed <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying like we're all highly my friends are that motivated way to just, succeed and it, and it seems like this is a question i've been wrestling with lately and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on it from your perspective um do you think that you gotta have a chip on your shoulder to succeed because i, I mm. i've talked to hundreds now of some of the world's most successful people mm-hmm. billionaires a-list celebrities athletes yeah. on the show a lot of our friends and <laughs> so many of them have or had chips on their shoulder. Yeah. And and while I think, you know, success is subjective, right? So you could make 60,000 a year and be successful in your mind, or you could make 6 million a year and be successful or 600 million. Like everybody's got a different definition of success. So I don't mean to say that if you don't make good money or whatever, you're not successful. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that um, I've noticed that like, if you grow up middle-class, you are more likely to stay middle-class. Whereas if you grow up almost like in poverty or with these kind of unique situations like yours, you have this chip on your shoulder that either keeps you in poverty because you run away from it or mm-hmm. propels you like a slingshot into an outer like atmosphere of success because you're so determined to I mean, prove everybody wrong. I think what we're talking about, Travis, is purpose. Hmm. And so do people need to have a chip on their shoulders I think they need to have a purpose. And I think for first-gen kids, because most of us, a lot of us, saw our parents give up a lot and struggle a lot, Mm -hmm. that gave us real purpose to kind of want to make them proud, make our communities proud, um, do something with what we are given. Yeah. Um, But I think that you and I could find exceptions to the rule, both in people who grew up rich and people who grew up poor and middle, sorry, grew up in the middle class, um, where they have some other type of motivation. Yeah. For some, maybe religion. Mm -hmm. For some, maybe uh, a loss in their life. For some, maybe just a a passion because of something they saw, a wrong they saw in the world. Um, you know, a goal that was placed in them to prove themselves to themselves, someone else, mm-hmm. to a wife, to a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think passion comes for each of us at a different point in our lives. And I just think that uh, a lot of times circumstances around childhood uh, creates that inbred passion yeah. because it's kind of like when you're still ha- – your subconscious is still moldable mm-hmm. and it kind of just like is 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 gifted to you. This is your purpose for doing these things and we don't get to like think through it a lot. Sure. But I think that you and I could both um, sit here and think of a couple names of people who maybe found passion later in their lives, yeah. right? Who finally got to that place where they were like, no, this is the thing that mm-hmm. makes my heart beat faster. The Adele's, the whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's so I think success for us all happens when it's supposed to. And I think it's always passion driven. And I think some of us are lucky to have uh, our passion driver kind of uh, flagged for us early mm. in life. Yeah, sure. And yeah. some of us- yes, That would be a big difference. Yeah, yeah, some of us find it later on. But first-gen kids specifically, you know, it's about family and it's about community. And so um, that's something that just kind of we live with when we're when we're younger. And that's why I think they're more motivated than a lot of people. Uh, I don't, you know what? I won't even say more motivated because yeah. I, again, like we know, <laughs> you and I know people who are very motivated yeah, on first-gen kids. But I think that they <clears> have- It's not exclusive, but yeah. I think that it's, uh, like if you take like a, a group of a hundred yeah. from each group, mm-hmm. like a higher percentage yeah. of first gen immigrants yeah. are gonna be are gonna be that way. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So I, that was just an aside. <laughs> I and love so the aside. Back, Let's go. Back to the story. Uh New Zealand. I have been to I don't know, thirty something countries at this point. Mm-hmm. New Zealand has to be top three in terms of yeah. just sheer beauty. One thousand percent. How did you enjoy your time there? Oh my gosh, I love it. New Zealand. When you bite a fruit, like a piece of organic fruit in New Zealand, it tastes different than anywhere in the world. <laughs> and I, and you know, I'm not didn't become an ecologist, but I would assume it has something to do with with it just being so far away from everything else. Yeah. Um, and it having kind of from what I studied when I was there, a closed kind of. Um, environment for mm-hmm. its own local ecology, Citizen. but yeah, it's 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 insane. It's like it's like untouched country. And yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. It's like when you're there, it's just 
it's like everybody knows this place exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why are there not more people here? You <laughs> gotta, if you go to New Zealand, you got a street luge. Did you street I didn't luge? Street luge, no. What? I didn't. You got a street luge. You got to eat eat some organic fruits for sure, yeah. because you'll never Delicious. taste that ever again. And you've got to go to the, to the sulfur spas. Did you go to the sulfur yes, spas? Yes, we did do that. We did. Yep. Saw some bats mm-hmm. out there. Those um, are really cool. These natural hot springs. Um, but yeah, I really. I went to Hobbiton because I'm a big Lord of the Rings amazing, fan. So that amazing. was beautiful. Amazing. Beautiful. And then you can get a, if for anybody that likes Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit like I do, um, you can actually get a drink in the Green Dragon, like the no tavern way. from the movie. That's so cool. So like they gave me like the, you know, I was just like, oh, this is awesome. Enjoying a pint in That's the uh, in the Green Dragon in Hobbiton. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, I was, uh, we, we drove from Auckland. Uh-huh. You know, northern New Zealand. We drove all the way down to I think uh, Welling Wellington. Is that the? I think that's the southern part of the northern island. And then took a plane to the northern part of the southern island, and then drove from there down to uh, what's the spot? The the city that it's like one of the more popular cities. But I'm, Auckland. Auckland was you were no, already no. in Auckland. Auckland, yeah. So we drove all the way down. Oh, this is where like they do a lot of bungee jumping and. Um, Hmm. I'm, I'm blanking on the on the name of the city, but anyway, that city, even though it's the one that's slipping my mind, was the one that we enjoyed the most because it was really? just amazing, beautiful. Ice cream is the, really good there too. Random, it is. You know, I don't <laughs> know why. Really yeah, um, uh, but had a lot of lamb. You yeah, know, lamb is very good. There was more. We saw more sheep on that trip than we saw people. I really hope that I find something to film in New Zealand soon because I want to go back and yeah, I 10 out of 10 recommend it for anybody who hasn't been. You got to go. You got to go. I I definitely want to go back and spend some more time there. It's just so peaceful and the people are amazing, Mm -hmm. super sweet, kind folks. Like it was, it was incredible. We did family stays, like the whole thing. So we were fully integrated and I, I love how they've really taken the time to integrate, um, the cultures between the native Maori people mm. and the New Zealanders that that you know came in and settled New Zealand, and that there's still such a um, homage like to the natives yeah. and and who they are and who they were in the culture in the in the present day culture. That's really you know beautiful to Admirable. witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long were you out, out there? Oh, I don't even remember uh, how long the course of the program was. We're talking about like months or years or weeks. No, it was like it was like a half a year. So it was like the end. That's a good amount of time to see the the country, though. Mm -hmm. Did you head over to Australia? I did. Okay. I did. We did go over to Australia. I have cousins in Australia. Oh no way! Okay. So I've actually. I guess that makes sense, though. There's because like for like is Australia do more Indian. Um, immigrants move to Australia than the U.S. Do you know? I have no clue, but there are definitely a lot of them down yeah, there because it's, my, it's right there. Yeah, it's so close. Yeah, and my my cousins have lived there my entire life. So when I was a little kid, that was one of the places we stopped on the way to India. It's little pictures of me with like kangaroos the same size as me. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in Australia, and it's another just a beautiful place. I hope yeah. we get to go down there and film too sometime yeah. soon. It's a cool country, <laughs> yeah, slash continent for sure. Uh, and then you know, I went to college. So. So, yeah, and that was in. Uh, so I went to school out of Ohio, but it was again, it was a program that sent us around the world to study with some of the biggest companies. So my collegiate career was spent uh, part time in Europe, part time in the U.S., and like with Nestle and Barlow Care and the Dutch National Bank. Um, we studied with Audi, and we did we did um, basically different projects for each, and mm. learned about their corporate culture. And it was, it was a really cool collegiate experience because that program specifically made sure that we had a lot of real world yeah. um, hands-on experience with corporations and companies. And it allowed me to kind of shape and understand the business world um, better than I think most that I found after we graduated when yeah. I came out into the workforce. Like, I think that it definitely, uh, the hands-on experience creates a better playing field for you to enter the workforce. And so I'm really grateful for that, Um, even though I did realize in my last year that I needed to get out (laughs) and go and start doing some of the art in my life. So what was the first expression of that desire outside of 
being done with college? Yeah, I wish I could tell you that it was like this distinctive switchover because that would have made my life easier, but it was much more of a of a walkabout. I was just kind of as most kids are. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. In their early 20s, like I was just kind of like, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to try to do these things that I'm super passionate about. Um, But I had really been uh, taxed with this conversation that many of us are taxed with in and around security hmm. and the idea that like you need to do something practical yeah. while you chase your dreams. Um, and I always found that such a like uh, jarring and and painful thing, hmm. right? Like even when I was a kid and I was like p- playing piano and practicing acting and singing all these things, and then you have to go study. Like I I always felt very polarized yeah. by this idea that like, that a lot of us grew up with that you can't make money off your art. Hmm. So you need to do something else to make sure that like, yeah, go you're get your accounting degree in the world. Yeah. And I'm also, I, there's three girls in my family. Um, and I'm also a product of the era of quote unquote feminism. Hmm. And I think within that, you know, there was also a lot of, as a girl, you need to be able to stand on your own two feet. Mm-hmm. You, um, which is, you know, if you study female and male archetypes, it's kind of the, uh, in terms of like what we are organically as feminine energy, it's kind of the opposite message um, in terms of encouraging our artistic sides, our mm-hmm. empathetic sides, etc. It was very much this like you must go be girl boss too and do mm-hmm. everything on your own. Um, and that's no one's fault. I think that's where society was sure. at that time. It's I think all of shift. us kind of yeah. got that message. Uh, and so, you know, I was, I was doing these jobs, consulting work. I, I was trained at a full business degree, like consulting work for firms that did, um, branding for Gatorade, Crest Toothpaste, yeah. Partners Hub here in the, in LA that did Chick-fil-A and Walmart and all these other things. And then I would, I would try to find, um, a part of them that was also doing something that was like film and TV related. So gotcha. when I was back home, that was trying to help my friend who was doing a big documentary with um, Pete Rose. When I 
then I created a cooking show because I was doing the marketing for a um, for a restaurant bar nightclub that I was a part of. And I was like, oh, but I could like YouTube's big. I could make a cooking I was show. Say, what, what year was this? Like no, around I have no what idea. Year? I don't do time and I don't do age. <laughs> so I have no idea what year this was, but at the beginning, it was like when YouTube was first starting to become big. Yeah. I started my own YouTube show and I, like, I was like the host and I would cook with these chefs and they'd teach me how to make their best dish. And so I just kept putting myself in content creating. and yeah. creating because um, honestly, retrospectively, because I think I have to, to breathe. Like, I think it's just so much a part of me. Yeah. It has been since Ingrained. I was a kid that like, I think if I'm not doing something that is creative, I literally feel, and I have taken jobs before where there was no creative. And I'll tell you, I gained weight, I ate a lot and I was miserable. Like mm, yeah. I, I need that piece. And so- um, I'd kept one foot in, and that's how I ended up back in LA. Fox locally in Cincinnati actually brought me on and then to do all their entertainment reporting locally. Okay. Um, so I had this YouTube show. I had the entertainment stuff that I was doing for Fox, you know, reporting all the bands in front of like live from the square when yeah. they came in town, et cetera. Yeah. And a guy had come into town and he'd seen all my work and he was like, what do you want to do? And I knew that he worked for this company, Partners Hub, and that he had – uh, along with Chick-fil-A and Walmart, they did they did marketing campaigns for The Grudge and the Bible series and all Mark Burnett's productions. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I saw it as like my in to go learn a little bit more. Yeah. And I told him I wanted to be the ideas person. And he was like, I don't know what that means. But when you're ready, <laughs> when you're ready, come out to LA and I'll, I'll give you a job because I need someone who has got like the brand experience. And yeah. so I came back out to LA. I actually lived in LA once before then, but since we're following the story, I, I came back out to LA and I started um, and then, you know, really had wanted to become a development producer. And I... Um, you know, I'm lucky that I've had a couple things in my life, breaking my knee, which for any of you who've ever had major sports injury, you kind of, when you lose um, a piece of your physicality and you have to gain it back, mm. it makes everything in life a lot easier to try to tackle. Sure. Yeah. Because I think your physicality is so like- You take it for granted yeah, so much. You take it for granted so much. And then so the much. first time you try to take a step and you're like, oh, I can't move. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it, you grateful just to be able to walk normally. And it really builds that muscle of like, oh, I can accomplish things mm. that I can't do from the ground yeah. in some way. There is a way. There is a way around this. So I, I had the the blessing of that and that kind of teaching within me. And then um, I'd had one other issue when I was younger, an auditory processing disorder that, again, is that I'd overcome with um, bio and neurofeedback. And it's a learning disability that they caught in me really late when I was 25. I'd graduated cum laude from college and like no one ever caught it and they caught it later on. But again, with the treatment of that, it was one of those things where it's like, you have this thing, you didn't know, and now we're going to treat it and we're going to fix it. And so it rewires your brain hmm. where you're like, wow, I just overcame this thing that feels like it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what's next. Sure. Nothing's impossible now. You, you I, can, I can do it. You start building up that stack of confidence. Yeah. 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 So I'd had these like two, uh, let's call it injuries along the way. They're not really injuries, but things that were kind of out of the box mm -hmm. that I had to really build resilience around. Yeah. And that resilience really served me when I came back to LA um, because I wanted to be a development producer. And I got told by a lot of people, like, you can't just become a development producer. Like, we don't we don't do that in LA. You got to start in a mail room, yeah, yeah. or you got to work your way up. Yeah. You can't become a development producer. Um, but I had lived like three lifetimes by then, yeah. And I was like, I I'm like you you're not going to tell me this now. I've yeah. come this far. We're doing this, and I really had realized um, when all the creative industries I'd worked in that there had been a large gap between the people who understood the business and the people who create. And I think if you think about it, if I think about it, in most industries, that's true. Mm -hmm. And society-wise, we've kind of been taught um, that we've been fed this message, like, you're a creative or you're a business person. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing in this decade, finally, the emergence of those two. But prior to this decade, it was kind of like, oh, no, no, no. They're, they're the business person. Oh, no, no. They're the creative. Right. And we don't right. speak the same language. So funny you say that. Um, a buddy of mine, do you know Chris Van Vliet? No, I don't. Um, it's a friend of mine, a former entertainment reporter. He's a YouTuber podcaster now. 
Uh, and we just launched this, <clears throat> this program called full-time creator. Mm-hmm. And that was basically the entire premise is, mm-hmm. uh, it is almost word for word. What you're saying was like the, the video that I put together for my audience, like announcing that we're launching it was just like most, most creators think of themselves as creators and most entrepreneurs think of themselves as entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs now are trying to create stuff and creators are trying to make money 100%. and they don't know how to do each other's thing. So like if you're an entrepreneur and your content sucks, it's because you're not embracing the creative. Mm-hmm. And if you're a creator and you are doing it for free all the time and you're a starving artist, then it's because you're not embracing the entrepreneurship aspect mm-hmm. and like that you have to come together if you yeah. if you if you want to like move to the next level. Yeah. And so like that's the entire, you know, push of the program is to teach entrepreneurs how to create better and to teach creators how to actually be okay selling stuff and making money and figuring out how to actually turn this into something they can do full time. Um, I, I would part time all time. I would really encourage people who are listening to us right now to like challenge yourself to undo that indoctrination. Yeah. Because it is an indoctrination. This it's something that someone told you. Mm-hmm. And um if I could like impart wisdom onto any of my creatives who are friends, who are listening, it's go learn the business. Mm. You become a better creative and you are a hundred percent capable of it. Yep. The most beautiful thing about creative minds is that we are specifically structured to learn things that are outside the box. And so uh, I would just really stress that like, if you want more creative freedom, go yeah. learn the business. And for me, when I was younger, like it literally, when I, w- when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, and I wanted to go lo- learn something on the business side because I was so in my like creative realm, I remember I used to just like pretend it was an acting gig. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to this like accounting class. Yeah. The best acting job I'm ever going to do <laughs> is like accounting. Watch me. Yeah. I'm going to be the best accountant yeah. in this room because I had to kind of like trick myself in that way because I I had been taught to hate yeah. anything that was like within the lines yeah. as a creative. Um, and so when I, when I came to LA and I was getting these kind of like, you have to start over things, what I, I'd had this aha moment where I was sitting around and I was like, okay, what's the one thing if I have to find it, everyone tells us like, find your niche and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And so I was really analyzing the market and I was like, what, what's the one thing I've learned in all these creative industries that I've touched and worked, uh, worked in. And it was that the money ended up having power over the creative. Mm. And so um, when I first came back to Hollywood and I started my my career as a filmmaker, I was like, okay, I, I, and I just want to stress, like I was allergic to anything financial. Like I had, I was a full business major. My mom had pleaded with me to become a finance major. I was never, not that I'm not good at it. I was allergic yeah, yeah. to the idea about it. And I, but I wanted to be a filmmaker so badly and I wanted to be able to be successful in this industry. And I thought to myself, if I go learn the economics of what I'm trying to build into, then no one can stop me Yeah, because I'll understand how I'm creating and how they're going to buy. And so I just kind of like took one for the team and I went back to the company that had kind of offered me, hey, you can come work for us, but we can't pay for you. We can't pay for you because like, you're not really a creative yet. And I was, I, and I told them, I, I want to go work for your money and learn what they, what they learn. And, yeah. um, that was really how I got, got back into the film industry was learning the money and how it worked. Well, you're touching on something very important, especially for young people, which is the concept of skill stacking. And I don't think that, I don't think that this is something that was ever like taught to me growing up is like more just what I've learned now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having the conversations that I have on the show, <clears throat> I luckily get to have conversations with really smart people who tell me smart things that I get <laughs> to learn. Um, and uh, one of those things was the concept of skill stacking. And what you're talking about is exactly that. It's like you are, you if you know accounting, then you are this valuable. But then if you know accounting and sales, you're now this valuable. Mm-hmm. If you know accounting and sales and creative, now you're this valuable. You know, because like you said, like every new skill you stack on top of that makes each one of those skills infinitely more valuable. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not a linear growth pattern. It's an exponential growth value in terms of value uh, in growth pattern in, in terms of value that you can add 
not only to the company, but into the marketplace, mm -hmm. which means you get paid more if you want to be a salaried employee. Yep. You get paid more if you want to be a consultant. You uh, you can't, you can't have a higher chance of success if you just want to go out on your own and be an entrepreneur because and you know more parts of the business. You know what I mean? Like you have to make yourself a more valuable person. And you become more learning. indispensable. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You're, 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 not, you're not first on the chopping block when they're looking to cut expenses. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, we can't get rid of Adrusha because mm -hmm. she knows these four things. Like she could do four people's jobs. You know, I, we got to keep her. I teach all my production assistants who come work for our company, um, you know, much to their chagrin, possibly. But I, I make sure that they touch all the pieces and I, and I teach them. One of the first lessons and one of the first things I always say to them is you need to be thinking in every situation, am I, in, am I making myself indispensable? Mm. Because especially in film and television, like that is the only value you have. Right. Being an indispensable part of whatever is being put together yeah. is really your security in this industry. And so- It's just if, a supply and demand thing. If you're yeah. new and you're starting out in film and TV, my advice to you is, you know, find ways to make yourself indispensable because it's one of those jobs that's kind of the 1% of the 1%. Everybody wants it. Everybody would love to be in it. So there's always someone who's willing to work harder than you. Exactly. To go yeah. the extra mile. So there's no really, shortage mm -hmm. of people that want your exact job. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you really want to find ways to make yourself indispensable. And that does mean going the extra mile when you're a first year, second year, third year, yeah. and you're making your name. Okay. So early 20s, mm -hmm. you're kind of just putting the pieces together, doing this thing, doing that thing, going out here, moving here, mm -hmm. working for this company, doing some consulting. At what point do you decide that you're just going to go out, start your production career on your own and do your own thing? Yeah. Um, so when I started in film and I'd started to learn the money side of things, I was still attached to security. And so I always had a side hustle. And I did that. I worked for three or four different companies. I worked with Randy Jackson um, on his, when he was working with, on his Endemol deal. I worked for a company called Atlantic Screen Media uh, that did Two Guns and Lone Survivor. I worked for uh, the original company, which was a company called Filmhouse New York, or worked with them. Um, and then, you know, I did not have, to your point, I did not have true success as a filmmaker, as a producer in any part until I had an aha moment where I finally quit my side hustles. Mm, and went so all in. For me, it happened. Um, and, and I think that this is, we can unpack this a little bit, but for me, it happened. I had a car wreck. Um, guy fell asleep at the wheel and almost... Uh, killed me here in Los Angeles and my car got flipped down the highway and the fire and got pulled out by uh, using the jaws of life is that wow. what it's called whatever yeah. it is the whole thing yep. um, and I was injured and so I had to like quit my my one of my side hustle jobs at the time and the job at the film company and find something that was close by because I didn't have a car right away and I was scared to drive right all yeah. the things that happen when you have a heinous car accident. Traumatic car accident. Yeah. Um, and so when I was healed from that, I went to find a new place because I'd been kind of staying with a friend who was taking care of me. I went to find a new place. And I misread an ad in whatever I was looking at uh, for a room with that was up in the hills. And I go to see the room that's up in the hills, and it's actually a mansion with like five rooms. And these kids who just graduated from Pepperdine are like renting out a room in this mansion. And I couldn't help but ask because they were trying to. The reason I had mistaken the ad was because it was like a five thousand or three thousand dollar room. It was expensive, and and I thought it was a whole house. And uh, I gotcha. asked them, I asked them, like, what do you guys do? Because he's he's walking around, he's talking really fast, and he's, like, showing me the different rooms. He's, like, everyone in here, like, this is the da 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 And I'm looking at this kid, like, he couldn't be more than, like, 19, 20. And I'm just like, what on earth is this kid doing to possibly be renting out this mansion at 5000 per room and yeah. whatever? And so I asked him. 
And he was at that time at the beginning of the wave of the Amazon dropship. Mm. He was doing a dropship business gotcha. and they had started when they were in college. And he was like, yeah, man, like I make, we make like 10 grand, like 10 grand a month minimum. And it just keeps going up. It's crazy. And now I'm making like 20 grand minimum. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this kid telling me this story. And all I can think is like, you could not be smarter than me. There is no way <laughs> that you are smarter than me. <laughs> and I left and I went home and I, for the next week, I watched every single video on Amazon Dropship. Mm. Like I went down a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of that week, I knew with certainty that if all else failed, I could move back to Ohio with $1,000 and I could be a millionaire by the end of the year. Yeah. And there was something about that confidence and understanding confidence, yes. of money that allowed me to then say, you know what? I'm going to spend the next three months. I'm quitting everything else I was trying to do. Yeah. And I am just going to go all in on producing. And worst comes to worst, at the end of three months, if I haven't reached the success on the projects I'm working on that I want to be at and I haven't you know, made money on that, I'm not doing the way uh, the way towards success that I I envision, mm -hmm. I will go back to Ohio, I will take that $1,000, and I will become a millionaire by the end of the year, and then I'm going to go make my own motherfucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was something about this like seismic shift in my understanding of what earning was yeah, in this new right. in this new economy that then allowed me to take all the distractions away and just focus and within a month and a half i had i had done my first big close and i had my first film along its way wow so um yeah there was just a seismic i'd always had success yeah. you know but it wasn't like the science of focus right there though you know if you put all your effort into one thing mm -hmm. it has a much higher chance of making it bigger than everything else that you're working on. Mm -hmm. And I also do think that like a lot of people ask me, I, I talk to a lot of people when I'm on the road and at these different conferences speaking about film, you know, um, about coming to LA and making it. And I think the one thing in this industry that sets people apart, whether you're an actor, you're a singer, talent or producer, um, the people who make it versus the people who don't, it's not talent. Mm. You know, it's not connections. It's not who their grandfathers are. It's simply wanting it worse than everybody Great. else. Yeah. It's 1,000% that you just wanted it worse. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy to think about in a world where we validate things with Oscars and talent and, you know, everything seems kind of like up in the air. Ethereal, oh, their, yeah. It seems oh, their like grandparent yeah. was. Oh, their brother was. Everybody wants to have a reason why they're not successful. But the so truth of the matter, find I'm, those reasons. I'm you telling know. you, Travis, and all the people I've met in Hollywood, it's that they just want it more. Yeah. They don't give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you touched on something earlier too, that, that confidence piece to leave the side hustle, mm -hmm. um, which brings me back to the, the skill stacking thing, or even if it's just one thing that you're really good at, and it's not a bunch of other things. It's just like, that was the exact, that was the exact thing for me that got me to take the leap and doing everything that I do now with my software company and my agency and this mm -hmm. podcast and everything that we, that, that we're doing was that <clears throat> I was looking at taking, I forget, it was a, it was some sort of a sales job, but it was like a sellout sales job. It was like, oh, you get a salary and a company car and everything. And uh, a mentor at the time, I was like going back and forth between these two paths. And I was like 24 or whatever. And he was like, well, the thing is, Travis, the safe path will always be there. He's like, you're a good salesperson. That's always needed. Yeah. And you can always do that at any point. Yeah. So why not give this other thing a shot? And it was like, that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but that, to to your point as well, the confidence that I had to be able to go tackle the things that I want to do came from the fact that I know I'm a good salesperson. So I know for sure that if everything failed tomorrow, yep. I could still go like next year and make a half a million dollars doing sales and put some money back in the bank and like, let's go, let's try something else. Let's let's give this another shot. You know, but uh, it, your, like your ability to spend or invest money is is directly related to your confidence in being able to generate more of it. Yeah, you know 100%. I mean? 
100%. And, and, and to take like your ability, not just to spend or invest money, but to risk, to take risk. Like your risk tolerance will be directly proportionate to how much confidence you have in being able to replace whatever it is that you put into doing this thing to begin mm-hmm. with, you know, and that speaks volumes, you know, for, for, for you to recognize that at that point Fully. and just take the plunge. Yeah. Know? And I think, again, that's something that everybody like gets to at a different point. It's just one of those things, one of yeah. those parts of your life lesson. Um, so yeah, this is, that was really the turning point in my career. And from there I've ended up, uh, starting, you know, my own company that you guys know, Curiosity Entertainment. I was, I worked for another four, five years for other companies. Yeah. And, you know, we started six months before a pandemic. So now we've made it through a pandemic and the pandemic number two, which is what I'm calling the writer's strike right no now. Because no for kidding. companies, it basically was a second pandemic. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're good. How are you combating those things now? Yeah. I mean, you know, like most entrepreneurs, it's really just been about putting one foot in front of the next when these things happen and finding ways to pivot. Yeah. We really, um, you know, did a good job of building a lean company. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to survive some things that other people haven't. Great. We also... Um, held a lot of our projects because the markets were down uh, and didn't expose them and are now just taking out some of them. So in many ways, we kind of are a new company because of the pandemic. Mm. Um, But, you know, I I would say that like all entrepreneurs, we are people who are distinctly, um, we've distinctly learned how to pivot with things when they come our way because it's just part of the growing a company story. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, we we know how to handle life when life comes at us. And that's what we just keep doing. It's not a great time, you know, for anybody. And my heart goes out, um, not only to our team, but all the other teams and creatives who are, are going through this time right now and went through the pandemic. It's, yeah. we were an industry that was specifically impacted a little bit more than most. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's exciting to think about the future and the dawning of the new era and what this is going to mean as yeah. everything set, resettles, because it'll be a lot more opportunity for people. Yeah. But currently, you know, it's the the last pieces of the apocalypse in right. the film and TV it, I mean, it really is. I mean, like whoever that, to your point, that's what makes it exciting and to a certain extent is that not everybody's going to. Not everybody's going to make it through, not even in terms of like, oh, they failed, but yeah. in terms of like, I can't take this anymore. I got to go do something yeah. different. Yeah. And to your point earlier, the people who make it are the people who want it more and the yeah. people who are going to stick through it. And it's like, it's like, it's like in the, you know, when, when things are good in real estate, all of a sudden everybody, you know, is a real, estate, real estate agent. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, oh, my aunt got her license. My cousin got their license. Like everybody I know sells real estate now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the market takes a dive and 80% of them are just like, ah, actually, I'm going to go back to my other job, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think there needs to be also, you know, a redefinition in entertainment of, of what success is. I think one of our, um, our strengths and one of my strengths has always been because I came from a very, I was, even though I came from a, a filmmaker, actor, singer background as a kid, I got that varied background in between when I was yeah. in business. Yeah. And that exposure to different businesses, tech businesses, uh, CPG product businesses, mm-hmm. et cetera, and how they were built and how they were created and how they perform and how they um, are successful means that like when I look at like success for us, I look kind of outside the box and I'm looking at ways we have a music company that um, that licenses the music for our film and TV shows that just finished or is working on our first finishing our first soundtrack. I'm looking at how we can benefit ourselves from merchandising. I'm looking at all these different uh, cracks around our industry that maybe not everybody has looked at. Yeah. Um, and that's because, you know, my brain's kind of is is webbed that way. Yeah, yeah. But I think that a lot of us who are in entertainment only see a single line to success. Sure. And so I really encourage creators, filmmakers, or tours, people who are um, actors, singers, to redefine, you know, what success as an artist is for you yeah. in this new wave of entertainment, because there are many YouTubers who make more money than filmmakers. There mm. are many... 
uh, podcasters who do better than authors. Yep. There are many filmmakers who've um, made films, whether it's music videos or shorts or things that ended up on uh, Vimeo or things that ended up on YouTube that are beautiful, mm -hmm. but maybe don't fit the the genre and format of an Oscar. Right. And right. we haven't started celebrating all these things as equal successes. And I think it's time that we do, because if your Agreed. goal was to be an artist and you are making money on your art, yeah. then you are a success. Right. It doesn't mean that you need to, you know, be at the, if you want to be a theatrical film, so have theatrical film and have theatrical success, then you need to go learn the business and you need to create your art for that. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't but mean would, that you're not an artist if you yeah, don't. I would argue that you're already an artist and you're already successful Absolutely. and that we just really need to define success in our in our creative industries. Well, Adrusha, this has been honestly a blast chatting with you. Um, wish we had more time. Maybe we could do a part two sometime. Um, maybe next time you come out to Vegas, let me know Let's and we'll do, do a part it. two, hang Let's out a little bit. It. Uh, but before we take off, where should people go find out more of the stuff that you're working on? Yeah, sure. Um, we have our next TV shows, the next show from the creator of Ozark. Um, it just got picked up for Spanish distribution. So I don't know where it'll show yet, but you can follow us on Curiosity Entertainment, Curiosity ENT on Instagram, or me on my personal profile. It's Adrusha, A D H R U C I A on Instagram. Um, and you'll get updates on that. We have one movie that we'll put into production during the interim agreements. Um, and then we have movies coming up we, that are executive produced by Diplo. We have TV shows by the Writers of Umbrella Academy. Uh, we have a great one by Rob Weiss, who did Ballers and Entourage. So nice. we've got a bunch of content coming out. But since the world has changed, it doesn't all come out on one channel. So the best thing to do is follow our socials. And we'll great. make sure you know where, where to find the work. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Adrusha. I will let you get back to your busy schedule. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on. No, we'll, of we'll, do, we'll do a second one sometime. Of course. Can't wait. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>